Coming up on this week's show, TJ Klune is here to talk about his brand new book, Murmuration. Plus, we recap the fall TV we've been watching. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome to episode 55 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com. <laughs> I'm Will from willknauss.com. Hello. Hello to you. How are you? I'm fine. Excellent. How are you? I'm good. This is our second time to do this this weekend. Because we're traveling. Yeah, the Monday that this particular episode drops, we will be flying through the air, returning from Kansas City. Yes, on our way home from GRL. Hopefully it was a good time. I'm sure I'm sure, it will be. I'm sure it will be, but... Yes, you know. yeah. And you'll probably know about it by the time this comes out, because you'll have seen whatever Facebook stuff we've done along the way, so... Of course, our GL, GRL wrap-up will be along uh, next week. Yeah. Um, we're getting close to our one-year anniversary. That'll just be next week. Can you believe we've done this 52 weeks in a row? <laughs> I'm at the a mere, loss for words. The mere thought of it has cracked him up completely. Uh, oh, we'd love God. to know what you guys have thought of the first uh, year of podcast. Uh, leave us some some comments on the show notes, and uh, we'll take a look at them and read read a few out on the show next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can leave that on the show notes for episode fifty five. Uh, what have you liked? You know, throw some criticism our way, or you know, even better, tell us what you might want to see more of next year. Yeah, most definitely. We've had some uh, really uh, nice. Uh, very kind comments so far, mm-hmm. uh, and we're looking forward to more. So uh, if you have a chance uh, in your busy lives to uh, <laughs> take a moment out of your day to check out the show notes for episode 55 and comment either on this episode or what you liked in the past year, we would greatly appreciate it. And speaking of things along the same line, we also like reviews uh, on the official podcast channels like over on iTunes or on YouTube or on Google Play Music, or anywhere else you happen to pick up the show. Uh, if you could go to those channels, leave a review, add some stars, if they let you do star reviews there, that would be awesome. Um, and you could even leave your one-year anniversary comments there, because we'll be able to pick them up from there. Mm-hmm. Any place you'd like to say something, by all means, please do so. Reviews in particular help the discoverability of the show, so that more people can find out about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. Yeah, and we can make it bigger and better in the... In the uh, second second year. Yes, in the second year. I was trying to come up with something catchy and slogany, and I it's hard to do that when totally failed when I... your new year starts in November. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Uh, let's okay. talk about something easier. Yes, let's let's do that. TV, TV. Let's talk about TV. The uh, uh, fall TV season has been underway for about a month. Uh, most of the shows that we're watching have already had three or four episodes by now. Um, but before we talk about the fall, we need to fall back to something from the summer that we only just watched in the fall, and that'd be Netflix's Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was clever and catchy. I loved its 80s vibe, much in the same way that I liked Dead of Summer's 80s vibe. They went back to the 80s oh so well, I thought, um, in that show. Um, and it didn't scare me too much. There were only a few times that I jumped out of my skin. Uh, mostly when they were um, 
you know, on the upside down. Uh, that disturbed me more than a little bit. Yeah, I I liked it a whole bunch. Uh, I thought it was really well done. I loved all of the characters, the adults, the teens, and the kids. I thought it was perfectly cast. Uh, the production di- design was uh, uh, exceptional, gorgeous. It perfectly captured the time period mm-hmm. as uh, we ourselves lived through that. Um, yeah. I uh, I'm glad we eventually got around to watching it. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. It's sort of a uh, best of mashup of uh, everything uh, that was popular in the '80s, and uh, I liked it a lot. Um, I will say that uh, I understand that it wasn't necessarily perfect. I mean, there were a few teeny tiny problems. Uh, at least in my view, I know there are haters out there who who could you know bitch about it, you know all day and all night. But uh, what I I just enjoyed the thing. I think what mainly um, pulled me in is I thought the cast was really exceptional. Mm-hmm. I uh, each of them were playing a specific archetype, uh, a specific '80s archetype, and. Uh, despite that, they were uh, really relatable, really genuine, uh, and the kids are pretty fucking phenomenal. Yeah, um, I agree. So, uh, if you haven't had a chance to check out Stranger Things, uh, you should definitely do so. Hop on the bandwagon like we eventually did. Yeah, I, <laughs> I completely agree with you on the cast. Those kids really were dynamite. Uh, I don't know how they went about casting them and finding them and and getting them into like the 80s characters they needed to play Mm -hmm. but it was perfect between the three boys um, and then of course Eleven was was kind of her own character but very well captured by that young actress Mm -hmm. and it was a treat to see Winona Ryder Uh, I can't remember the last thing I saw her in uh, that was later than the 80s but it was very fun to see her you know play a mom Mm -hmm. of a kid who'd been kidnapped or snatched, or whatever you want to call what he was. Um, so yeah, looking forward to season two, and hope they get to shooting that before the kids age up too much. <laughs> yeah. Because they're right at that age. Yeah. Uh, had some great writing in it, too. There were some great one-off lines that got thrown out there, like, what was it, uh, why are you keeping this curiosity door locked? Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted a science teacher like him. I had one in the eighth grade, and I would have loved some others. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was really good. Uh, so yeah, Stranger Things on Netflix. Give it a look if you have not yet. Yes. Uh, we have also hopped on the bandwagon. The most popular show of the new season... Uh, At least one of the most popular, yeah. Yes, is called This Is Us. It's a drama on NBC. Um, the commercial uh, came out this summer, and it built a whole bunch of buzz. Uh, so we hopped on board. Uh, I think it's pretty freaking phenomenal so far. Yeah, the no complaints. <laughs> uh, given that it's uh, three episodes in, uh, and, and it's been on the cover of Entertainment Weekly, uh, I'm not going to mince about spoilers. But if you haven't seen it and plan to, you might want to skip a little bit. Um, I love the storytelling device that they're using, where the parents are mostly seen back in like I guess it's the 80s and uh, late 70s. Uh, for them and the the adult children are in the modern time. It's an interesting storytelling device that they're rolling out that I really hope they can kind of keep going uh, for a while. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and the casting here, again, too, is wonderful. I love Milo and Mandy um, as, as, the, as the 1970s slash 80s parents trying to cope with triplets. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, uh, give it a look. This is us on NBC. Also, uh, our all of our regular returning comedies uh, have come back in a big way. Big Bang is really funny. Uh, Real O'Neill's uh, had a hilarious premiere. Yeah, they've uh, only had one episode out as we record this, and Su- it was great. Superstore has a couple of episodes, and uh, they're uh, back in fine form. <laughs> We've also sampled the new shows, Speechless and The Good Place. Which one do you want to talk about first? Speechless. I'm, I'm in love with this show. I love The Good Place, but I'm in love with Speechless for so many reasons. They've taken a topic that... When you look at the at the blurb on its surface, you know, family with uh, a special needs child um, doesn't seem like comedy material, and yet it is a hoot. Minnie Driver is a frickin' riot as the mom who will do whatever it takes to make sure her son has accessibility. Uh, I don't know the actor's name, but it's got Kripke from The Big Bang Theory as the father. Mm-hmm. And you've just never seen him like this, because he's, he's not Kripke at all. He's very funny. Um, but most of all, the young man who is playing... Um, what's his name? Can't think of the kid's name. Oh, well. Who's playing the young man uh, with cerebral palsy. He's outstanding. Uh, he His facial expressions, in particular, are... Just, I mean, he perfectly punctuates everything mm-hmm. with the look on his face from being completely pissed off to being completely like, yeah, let's go do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm in love with it. Yeah, speechless. I've really enjoyed it so far. I'm particularly fond of The Good Place. This is the new comedy starring Kristen Bell and Ted Danson. Uh, it's a pretty high concept idea. Mm-hmm. Um, Kristen Bell has mistakenly ended up in... Uh, has died and has ended up in the quote-unquote good place, a place she definitely should not be. Uh, (laughs) um, She's mistakenly ended up there, uh, and she's trying to cover her tracks to make sure that she stays in the good place. Um, It's an incredibly strange, uh, incredibly funny show. Ted Danson plays the... um, His name is Michael... Uh, I don't think they specifically say he is an angel. He uh, is a—he's the designer of the good place, and he oversees uh, the day-to-day operations and lives of everyone uh, under his care. Uh, but Kristen Bell's arrival in the good place has started causing problems because she's not necessarily a good person. Mm. Um, so shenanigans ensue. Um, it's really uh, incredibly strange and hilarious. Uh, I mentioned it reminded me of a Pushing Daisies, kind of like a Brian Fuller sort it, of show. Yeah, a Brian Fuller show. So Pushing Daisies, Wonderfalls, that kind of yeah thing. Yeah. So I'm really enjoying that, and I think Ted Danson is exceptionally funny, um, in a in a way that we have not seen him before. I think he's. <laughs> Really excellent. <laughs> yeah, I like him here because he's he's playing a character that's very different from any comedy character. It's, it's very different than what he played on Cheers, mm-hmm. and of course, lately he's been skewing more towards 
uh, drama with his stints on the CSI shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's fun to see him back here and in a whole different comedy light. Yeah. Also, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend uh, has returned this past Friday, the 21st. Uh, love, love, love that show. Yeah, yeah we didn't uh, get to see the premiere yet, but we're, we're so looking forward to seeing where it picks up. Can't wait to see what's going on on season two. And, of course, uh, as uh, longtime listeners of this show, uh, you probably know that we have been watching The Voice uh, and loving The Voice. Uh, it's going really well so far this season. Yeah, I love Miley and uh, and Alicia. Mm-hmm. They're, they're great coaches. They kind of... Through Adam and, and, and Blake, some curveballs there and how things will work on the show now that there are two strong women uh, and not just one sitting in the chairs next to them. And good good singers all around uh, that have been making it through so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, uh, we're big fans also of the superheroes on the CW. Uh, those f- four shows have all come back within the last couple weeks. Um, for me, I think what I like so far the best... Uh, and I know we disagree here a little bit. We've both liked Supergirl, and it's one outing back so far. Um, uh, the addition of Superman was great, and Tyler... Tyler Hodgson? Tyler Hodgson is kind of perfect as Clark, I think. Mm-hmm. Going back to the Clark that Christopher Reeve played, and not some of these unfortunate things that we've had going on in the DC movies lately. Um, and I liked where the Flash is, has been so far with its Flashpoint story, uh, with Barry having completely mucked things up more than once now with the timeline. Uh, for Arrow, I didn't so much care for the first episode, but the second one kind of pulled me back in a little bit. And uh, Legends came back in a way I didn't expect it to, because I was about to jettison that show last year, because it was just murky, but they've they've made some tweaks that I think may help it survive and be something I like to watch. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to add to the superhero brigade? No, not really. Well, all right then. <laughs> we will move on to reviews. You've read uh, another Dreamspun Desire. Uh, yeah, I have been catching up on some of those. I fell behind a little bit this past summer. Recently, I read Stranded with Desire by Vivian Dean and Rick Reed. Um, this is the story of a fancy CEO named Maine and his personal assistant, Colby. Uh, they are returning home from a business trip and they uh, crash in the Pacific North. Their plane crashes in the Pacific Northwest and they have to make it back to civilization alive. Um, so uh, that was an entertaining uh, story and setup for their eventual romance. The book isn't really necessarily about um, their falling in love necessarily. It's more about them coming to terms with their feelings for one another. I mean, before the plane crash, they were uh, head over heels for one another, but uh, they didn't tell the other person uh, and were keeping things strictly professional. Mm. Uh, which is, of course, the responsible thing to do. So when they, they when they when they crash and are thrown together into this uh, uh, life or death situation, uh, their true feelings come to light, and they explore those feelings once they uh, get back to civilization. Uh, plus, there is the um, wrinkle in their perfect romance that Maine is yeah. in, engaged 
to a lovely lady. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa! Back in Chicago, <laughs> so they have to navigate those those waters. Anyway, uh, I enjoyed Colby and Maine an awful lot, and I look forward to future books from Vivian and Rick. I think it was a good one. Um, I'm gonna throw a th- curveball question at you. What's that? So I know you also uh, did that with the audiobook. I did. Um, how was the audio portion of that story? Um, I thought it was, uh, in this particular instance, it was good. Okay. Not necessarily great. Um, I listened to this um, audiobook while I was on the treadmill, and I... Uh, this is just a weird quirk of mine. I listened to it, listened to it, and I read it with the book in front of me. Um, I am a visual person, so listening to a book doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to, like, get it or comprehend the entire experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, not but, the, you're not the only person I know that does that. So, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, that was just my weird quirk of how I... Uh, read this this particular story. Okay. So I've also read a book. Uh, we talked about this a little bit last episode. Uh, I got to read TJ's new book, Murmuration, mm-hmm. uh, which he will talk about coming up here shortly uh, in our interview segment. Uh, as I said towards the end of episode 54, it is one of my favorite books of the year so far, and, and maybe even extending beyond that. The more I've thought about the writing of it um, and the way that TJ managed to put this story to the page mm-hmm. is just really extraordinary to me. I mean, it's it's up there with some of the stuff that I've read, like Stephen King, where he builds out uh, these elaborate things that you get to read. Uh, and you could tell that there's thought put into it and a lot of stuff goes into the story, but yet the characters are what shine through. I absolutely love... Uh, Mike and Sean, I think their romance is just wonderful to read. Um, it's very hard to review this book because you don't want to give spoilers on anything uh, because it's really, if you think about movies like The Sixth Sense or uh, The Crying Game or how people treated the Harry Potter books, where it's like you want the you want everybody to have that first time read experience mm-hmm. without going oh I already know about that so that's not a surprise. It was such a delight to see how the story just kept building on itself and, and where it was going to go. And you'd think about it and be like, well, that's kind of like what I've seen over here. Could it be something like this movie or this TV show or this book or this plot? Okay. And then find out that oh no, it's not like that at all. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'm being deliberately cagey on what I'm, I'm going to say here. All I'll say is that it's, it's a tremendously well-written book. Um, uh, I, I would aspire myself as an author to be able to lay out something as complex as this is and have it pay off, uh, like this book does. I see exactly why TJ says that it's the most romantic book that he's written because, the romance, as I said, between Mike and Sean is a beautiful thing to read. Um, I like the 1954 era in general. Um, I've talked about that actually back when I was on the Rope podcast because they asked about an era in time that I thought was great. And there's a lot about the 
the way we treated each other in general in the 50s that I like a lot. If you if you can manage to like pluck out racism and you know, if you pluck out the nasty bits and keep like Pleasantville, <laughs> that's kind of a nice era or like the sweeping Douglas Sirk movies or, you know, you mean nothing that existed. Nothing that existed, <laughs> but everything you would have had existed when people talk about the good old days. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, read this book <laughs> and get on the bandwagon for what for how awesome this book is. I wrote a little bit more over on jeffandwill.com, mm-hmm. but not much more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, TJ is going to talk a little bit about it in the review. The book comes out Friday, October 28th, so just a few days away from this from when this podcast initially comes out. Uh, and I think it's so worth your time. And I will say this, if you read Murmuration and you want to talk about it, because you should keep the secrets, drop me a line, jeffandwill at biggayfictionpodcast.com, and I'd be happy to chat with other people who've read the book, so I can talk to somebody about what I've read. Because okay. Will here hasn't read it yet either. No. But I hope you do. Yeah. So, all that to nice lead up to the fact that I got to talk to TJ about the book and about what life is like for him as a currently full-time author. Mm-hmm. He's managed to get five books out this year. Uh, most of those were written, actually, before he became a full-time author. But he's also planning five for next year um, that are already on the calendar. And that he's been talking about with folks. So let's go to TJ's interview. I'm excited to welcome TJ Clune to the podcast. When TJ was eight, he picked up a pen and paper and began to write his first story. Now, over two decades later, the cast of characters in his head have only gotten louder. But that's okay, because he's recently become a full-time writer and can give them the time they deserve. Since being published, TJ has won the Lambda Literary Award for Best Gay Romance and was chosen by Amazon as having written one of the best GLBT books of 2011. His latest book, Murmuration, comes out October 28th. TJ, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So I've read Murmuration, uh, one of the lucky few who got an advanced copy. I loved it. I don't know how to talk about it. So I'm going to make you talk about it. <laughs> right, that's good. And, and you were one of the few that got advanced copies because we actually limited the amount of advanced reader copies that went out or the review copies that went out this time around just because um, I wanted to keep it as close to my chest as possible without revealing too much. But um, Murmuration, it's a book that I wrote last year for uh, – National Novel Writing Month at NaNoWriMo. Um, I'd never done it before. And uh, uh, a friend of mine, author S.A. McCauley, wanted me to try it with her. So I said, oh, whatever, deadlines, they suck. I, that's why my publisher never gives me deadlines, so whatever. And um, she convinced me. So I said, sure, let's just see how it goes. So I sat down and I wrote the entire 106,000 words in 27 days. Wow. Like, so you did two I, nanos in a month. I did. That that one book, it, it came out faster than almost every other book I've ever written before. But Murmuration is essentially my love letters to 1950s Americana because I have a, a huge fascination and appreciation for post-war America and how we were in the 1950s. It's that idyllic um, time that I think is very romanticized in media and movies, magazines, books. Um, It's uh, something that I've always wanted to uh, get into. Um, 
I, I dabbled in it a little bit with my novella, John and Jackie, that time period was sort of addressed, but I kept that appropriately vague. But with Murmuration, I knew that I wanted to get actually, um, this is my cat, interrupt, and that's what she does, come on back. <laughs> um, I wanted to get uh, actually very deep into it, because I knew that if I was going to write about time period 1954, that I was going to have to... Um, I wasn't going to be able to cut corners with that because you have to you have to make sure that the timing is appropriate and or that the language is appropriate. Any products used mentioned are appropriate. So, so um, I had to get into that. But murmuration is 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 my love letter to the 1950s. It's my fascination with black and white like so-called monster movies that deal with that are an allegory for like communism and the red scare and stuff like that so so kind of what i was going for that kind of whole feel with uh the novel yeah and i can i can see all of those things kind of mesh together now you wrote it during nano and at 107 words 107,000 words during nano is insane what was your process for writing the book did you have all the the research and everything ready to go or yes and and um because i i knew that i was going to be i had just finished writing wolf song i was um not really sure what my next project was going to be and i've been playing around with the the idea of writing a book in the 1950s for a long time so i have plenty i had plenty of research already up and and ready to go but then this idea came into my head after GRL last year. I just got this random idea of, of this book that eventually became Murmuration. And it was, um, I knew the beginning of the book and I knew the ending of the book. The ending is something that has not changed at all. As it, the last three or four paragraphs of Murmuration are word for word what I had written at the very beginning. I wrote the, the ending of the book at the beginning because I wanted to get to that point and that remained unchanged. But I, it, there's a lot of research that goes into this book and, and it's a, there's a reason why for it, which obviously people will see when they read it. But yes, all of that was completely done before I started. And then I, I wrote, I think typically now I, I write four days a week and take three days off. But when I was writing that book, I wrote seven days a week. Mm -hmm. to just because I couldn't get the idea out of my head. That's awesome. Uh, now, you've said it's a love letter to the 50s. Is there anything else you want to say about what it's about that's not in the blurb? Or are we just going to – does everybody just need to go look at it? Yeah, Which I think they kind of do. It's, it's so hard to talk about without uh, attempting to, to, to spoil it for anybody. I mean, even the blurb I was a little bit eh about. But – Essentially, what it what it comes down to is my my goal with Murmuration was to write not just a romance, but uh, uh, something that was sweet and and innocent almost like the like I felt like the time period kind of was. Um, I think that that there's an almost uh, naivete to the two characters, and they're they're wrapped in this little bubble of themselves. And, and in the end, my main goal at the by the end of Murmuration was to, as I've said before, write the most romantic thing I've ever written. And um, it it's not the the uh, fiery passion I think of, of first meetings and stuff like that. I think this more this book is more of a crescendo 
that it starts off quiet, but by the very end, it's um, exploding, which people will see once they get to that point. Mm-hmm. Now you and said, I think that's really all I can say on it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. You said it's probably not a book for all of your readers. What kind of reader do you think will enjoy this the most? I think readers that uh, enjoy books that have twists and turns in it, because this is not going to be a straightforward narrative. Um, I think that it could even go to the point, maybe an extreme end of saying that that it's an unreliable narrator. Um, but it's um, it's going to be people who who I think I think the big thing is is going to be people who like solving puzzles because. The book itself is I give out pieces at a time and I put it to the reader to try to put those pieces together. And I think that that I I wanted people to think it's going a specific direction and then wanting to kind of knock them off their feet when they find out that maybe that's kind of correct. But in the end, there's this whole bigger picture of what it actually was. Now, if you, if you had to play like the Amazon algorithm... <laughs> <laughs> and you were posed with the question, if you liked blank, you liked murmuration, what goes in that blank? Either in your catalog or in literature overall. Uh, that's going to be tough because that could go into spoiler tech. You know what? I'll say, like, if you liked Memento or the Christopher Nolan and the other Christopher Nolan movie, Inception, um, or if you love the, like me, I love. And this is a big old sap when it comes to this, but I love like the whole 1950s black and white romance, <laughs> the big sweeping movies where at the very end there's the big musical score and everybody's dancing and stuff like that. I, I that's kind of the feel that I'm going for. Um, but it's, I think that a big uh, inspiration for the book could could be said to be in the vein of like Memento. Okay. What was your process for writing this? We touched on it a little bit, but it sounds like you didn't even have that much prep time because you said it came to you at GRL last year. And, of course, that's mid-October, and you're taking off writing in uh, November. Is it Was this pantsing, or did you have a lot of plot down? Halfway through the book, I realized that uh, to get to the end point of where I wanted to be, I needed to take a step back and make sure that the path that I was on was the right one. Because with 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 a book this intricate, you have to have every piece and part ex- firmly in place. You can't you can't have you can't cut corners. You can't be. Um, my biggest concern for this book. Okay, I think my biggest worry was a plot holes that you could drive a bus through because if, if you if you if you find a plot hole that's something that that is missed, then it kind of completely ruins the experience. I think for the reader. So, I I at the beginning I wrote like a man possessed and and kept on going for two weeks, and then I got to the midweek point or the the mid month point, and I said, wait a minute, I think like maybe a quarter of this absolutely does not make sense. <laughs> so I had I had to stop for a day or two and I went back and and was bitching myself out because it it was terrible it was terrible what I was trying to do it made no sense what I was trying to do so um I I stopped and and course corrected and it was tough because I had to cut out a bunch of stuff that I thought was 
pretty darn good writing, but it just, it wasn't right for the book. It didn't fit. So I had to um, get rid of it and, and put myself back on the right path. But it's, it took only those 27 days to write it. But I mean, we're talking, and that was when I was still working. We were talking, I would go to work from like six to five and then I'd get home and I'd write until like two o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. So this was like seven, seven, eight hour writing days, 27 days in a row. So, um, it, it was hard, but, um, I think that at the very beginning I knew what I wanted to do with it and I just incorporated all the research that I'd already done. Now for most people, you know, they get through nano and they've got this first draft and then it's a matter of all the fixes and edits and getting it all together again. How was the edit process after your first draft for you? And I'm not talking like when Dreamspender gets it and starts doing all their stuff, but before you submitted it. It was terrible. <laughs> because <laughs> I think I'm trying, I'm, I'm thinking that I have this great story and I get to my ending point, you know, with the ending that I wrote at the beginning. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so awesome. I got to this exact point that I wanted to get at. I'm going through and I was like, what the hell was I thinking? You know, I had to cut out, I mean, just stuff that just didn't make sense. Like, I, I think there was a point where I, I tried to make myself too clever. Like I tried to be too, make it too much of a puzzle and it, it, it showed. And I had to, I had to um, tell myself to calm my tits because that wasn't, <laughs> wasn't something that I needed to do. I needed to be very objective about it. I can be my harshest critic when I need to be. So I was able to take a step back and say, tell myself, look, you need to, this is going to work. You need to make it better. You need to stop trying to be, you're not as clever as you think you are. So you need to kind of take a step back and fix what needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. Now you've been writing full-time since February. And yes. we're, so it's about nine months in as we're talking mm-hmm. in October. How's that been? It's been the best decision of my freaking life, man. That's uh, like, look, I, I, I worked in an office job in a cubicle at an insurance company for 10 years. I started there when I was 23 and I um, was in Tucson for seven years and then here for three years. And, and my job was essentially I worked in automotive auto insurance claims like if you got into an accident and you killed someone and the or somebody was suing you that's that's the type of claim that i would handle and it was killing my soul because i was it got to the point of where i would just be sitting at work staring at my computer screen slack jawed in my tiny little cubicle filled with my knickknacks that i had accumulated over 10 years of being in in the in an office and it just it graded on me. So I started planning and I, because I'm a, I'm a very meticulous planner. I have to, if I was going to do this, I had to commit to it and make sure that I had a nest egg set aside in case I failed spectacularly. Um, but I, I made, once I made that decision, I committed to it and, and best decision I've ever made for myself. Hands down, completely best decision I've ever made. That's awesome. Has anything been particularly surprising about, being the full-time writer over the last few months? Um, I, I thought that the the uh, the newness of it, the idea of it, would wear off rather quickly. 
like that I my final day it was on a Thursday and I took the Friday off from doing anything and I told myself I was going to start writing on Monday and I did and it was awesome and then I thought that as the week went on or the next week went by that it was going to wear off the whole idea of oh my god I'm doing this but it hasn't every every day that I get up and write it's just it's awesome it's absolutely I mean my output in the last nine months has been probably more than my past three years combined so it's um it's insane it's absolutely intense that I'm able to do this and I'm greatly appreciative of my readers supporting me making me be able to do this because without them I wouldn't be able to be where I am right now what's your like your daily routine the four days that you are writing I get up at 5:30 in the morning <laughs> still I uh, um, am at the computer by 6:30 and I I'll review for half an hour or so I'll review the previous day's work and then I'll sit and write until probably about two or three o'clock um, every day or Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday and then Friday Saturday and Sunday I usually go back and edit what I've written in the week before. But I'm averaging now, uh, on a good day, 10,000 words a day. And on a off day, I can probably get about five, six, seven thousand. 7,000. So um, um, I'm a machine right now. I really thought that that would wane. I really thought that that would be something that would be affected. But... Um, if anything, my output is in, in, increased. And I mean, I've got so many freaking ideas that I want to do, but I have so many <laughs> series that I have to finish before I can do everything, anything else. So, right. but it's, uh, yeah, it's most weekdays I'm at the computer bright and early and, and finishing up in the afternoon. And, and that's what I do daily now. That's awesome. What yeah. kind of advice would you have for authors in our genre who are looking to go full time? You got to make sure that you're prepared to commit to it. You have, if you're going to do this, you have to, you have to do what you say you're going to do. I mean, I think the biggest, I mean, there's days when I wake up, it's a Monday morning and it's my alarm is ringing at five 30 and I'm thinking, Oh, well, you know what? Last week I wrote, you know, 40,000 words. I could take today off. I don't need to do this, but you can't do that. I mean, this is when, once you leave that job, that security behind, you have to keep writing because that's going to be your only income. Another big thing that I think that a lot of people don't realize too is that royalties tend to come quarterly. So you're not getting a paycheck every week or every other week like you normally would. So it's a very good idea to have a, a savings account like you know, with as much saved as you possibly can because you never know what kind of emergency will happen. You know, Maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't have a good sales quarter and you can't, uh, uh, you, you don't have that money coming in. So you need to be able to have that nest egg set aside. That's, that's the biggest thing that I did was I saved as much money as I possibly could and just set it aside and haven't touched it for anything because it's going to be there in case something goes wrong. I've been fortunate so far, obviously with, with, uh, sales, but, um, you just gotta, you gotta plan for every eventuality i mean i mean maybe by this time next year i'll have <laughs> crash and burn and have to get, <laughs> have to get a job but as of right now i'm i'm doing pretty good yeah yeah and even with the quarterly thing 
life could happen life in, could in between the quarters. Between the quarter. Even if you're selling your shit, then you need that money all of a sudden, like anybody. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's it, you, you, you. I mean, you have to. You know, it's kind of a redundant to say, but you have to plan for the unknown. It's um, it's stuff could happen that you don't even think about, but um, it's uh, something that I think I, I, I would. Even if even if something were to happen, say next year, where I have to go back to work, I have to find another job. I will not regret this time that I've had. This has been the best time of my life so far. That's, I, I want that so bad. No, I'm, I'm like, I want TJ's life. <laughs> uh, you mentioned recently on Facebook that how to be a normal person uh, might become a movie. Which is awesome and exciting. Yeah, and so I'm, saying, cool. I'm saying awesome way too much in this interview. It's just that's kinda, totally okay. I'm, that is one of there. my um, anything new to report at all with that situation? Uh, no, not really. It's these the, the I mean I'm going to sound like I'm all Hollywood, even though I have no idea what I'm talking about. It's these from what I understand, this process can take a long time for it to actually go through. Um, and even even when and if a production company acquires the rights, that means that the rights are theirs. So technically, they don't even have to do anything with them if they don't want to. I mean, there's production companies that will acquire rights for books that haven't even come out yet and then won't nothing, – nothing gets made with them. I'm hoping that obviously that that's not what happens here, but um, it's, it's a long, drawn-out – process <laughs> and uh i think it's something that that we have to be patient for which you know is not one of my fortes unfortunately but the 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 very idea that this is even a possibility just blows my mind i mean it's, it's phenomenal that that something like this could even happen and i obviously i say for that's for me because you know it's my book but at the same time i think it could be big for our genre too because you know if if this happens if it goes through if it gets made then if it's any kind of success that could potentially open the doors for other books in in the mm genre to to be optioned for films or whatever like even freaking lightning struck heart is being made into a stage play i mean that's um you know there's all these different uh avenues of media that could be explored i think um and, and i i'm hoping that this will open doors for other people should it go through i didn't know about lightning i think struck. i think the, that, it, that's exciting yeah it's um, well it's kind of odd like that's um it's in Spain <laughs> that they're optioning for it. So it's going to be in Spanish. And um, like just the idea of the lightning struck heart being made into a play is just it, like, I mean, more power to them. I'm, I'm all there. I'm going to be there opening night. I have no problem with that whatsoever, but I like the logistics <laughs> behind that book being made into a, a play of some kind just, I can't wait to see what they do. I'm not going to be able to understand it, but I just can't wait to see what's going to happen. It's going to be fantastic. Okay. <laughs> so, I, you know, but I mean, that's just another, it's another form of media that I think that will, will hopefully help us. I mean, you have so many TV shows and stuff like that, that just forego actual television and get streamed online and stuff like that. And I can see some, some books that I've read in our genre being made into 
um, shows, movies, or something that you can stream online. I mean, it's not just a movie doesn't have to go to a theater and be successful. That's not what the the model is anymore. Right. And in some cases, it's better not to go to the theater, I think. Right. And I mean, if because I mean, there's there, my my biggest concern with it I, I, is twofold. One is the whole asexuality aspect of it. That, that has to stay in. Otherwise, I'll, I would rather have the whole thing collapse than have them write that out. But two, if you go on like Netflix and you look up like the GLBT or LGBT movies they have on there, a lot of them are crap. Let's let's face it. A lot of them are unfortunately crap, and they they look cheap. The acting is terrible, and that's something that I want to avoid. I don't I don't want if this is going to happen. I want it to be the best that it can be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In your in your dream casting, who are Gus and Casey? If you could have just anybody oh. out there, see that's that's the problem with something like that. I I I, I there are writers that they base their characters off of people, and when they when they like character models and stuff like that, I can't do that because it will mess with my head a little bit. That you know this is who they're supposed to be and this is what they act like and blah blah. And I can't do that with casting either. I, I've been asked that question about like Bear Otter and the Kid when that first came out. With almost every subsequent book I've had written, I, I've been asked if this were to be, be made into a movie, who would you want it to be? And I have no idea. <laughs> like I have absolutely no idea. I will say one thing though, and this is probably going to tick off <laughs> a few people. When I announced that uh, that that normal person was going to be made into a movie, people were talking about casting and stuff like that. And, there were suggestions that a few people agreed with that oh God, what was his name? Jim Jim Persons Parsons? Oh, Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. Yeah, that he should be Gus. First and foremost, I have no idea who that was when they said Jim Parsons. And I was like, okay, who is that? Whatever. And they're like, Big Bang Theory. And I said, I've never seen that TV show. I don't know who that is. And so I looked him up. Isn't he like forty? <laughs> because I don't, I don't, I don't. Absolutely not. There's. Uh, sorry, sorry for the people that wanted that to happen, but absolutely not. Gus is not that man. <laughs> he's not. He's not this person. Because <laughs> he's old. He's absolutely far too old to play that character. Um, granted, he may be the best actor in the world. I've never seen him. I don't think in anything, but. Um, he's can't it cannot won't it won't be him. But other than that, honestly, I think that if they're gonna get if if this is gonna be made, I'd like to see a bunch of unknowns. Mm. Be, um, or you know, I would be totally happy with Betty White playing one of the We Three Queens. I have no problem with that whatsoever. Oh. She would love if she Betty White. If you ever see this, please, 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 please. please be one of my Vespa riding pink jacket wearing ladies in their gang. Please be one of the We Three Queens. I would love Betty White to do that forever. That would be the only person that I could actually say I would want cast in the movie. I can get behind that cast. Absolutely. Oh my god, that'd be awesome. <laughs> that would be so cool to have that happen. I would absolutely love that if, if they were able to get somebody like her for that. Other than that, I would want it to be a bunch of unknowns. Like uh, uh, just because I, I, I don't want 
my I don't want a, like a viewing experience of that movie to be distracted by somebody's celebrity. But aside from Betty White, because she's Betty White. Yeah. So, Murmuration is your fifth book this year. What's coming in 2017 that the world can look oh, forward to? Got five books coming out in 2017, and and, and the way that it's going now, and don't you know hold me to this in case I am a liar and a fat mouth, but um, I may try to do five books a year from this point on, crossing my fingers. But next year, February is the third book in the Tell Me It's Real series, and. And that's called Until You. April, I have a book called Olive Juice. And I am going to be as secretive about that book as I have been about Murmuration. Because it's it's a book that I thought about releasing under a different name. Because it's so completely different than anything that I've written before. It's a, still, it's a romance. Um, and it's about two guys in their 50s. But it's different for for me. But in the end, I decided to keep it under my own name, just because I I think that there people will hopefully appreciate the the differences versus the books that can, have come before. So I'll talk more about that down the road. But after that is uh, in June is the sequel to Lightning Struck Heart: A Destiny of Dragons. August for the sixth anniversary of the first book is the last Bear Otter and the Kid book. And then in October or November is the third book in the Lightning series. And all of those books are done and have been completed. So yeah, five books next year. Each each book comes out the same month as I had books come out this year. I don't know why it worked out that way, but that's how it's going to be. <laughs> so maybe that'll just be my time period from this point on. Yeah, they'll just Dreamspin will just have you penciled into those slots, and and those will be TJ right, months. Exactly. <laughs> what is the best way for people to keep up with you online so they can know everything going on? Yep, I'm on Facebook. I have my author page and my regular page. I don't know why I have two pages. I just do because we're supposed uh, to. Uh, yeah, it's a, I tend to forget my author page. So forgive me if there's months that go by between me posting on it. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, or you can just email me at tjclunebooks at yahoo.com. That's, that's one thing I do want to say. Since I started this whole process of being an author, I remember when I, my book came out on – Bear Out and Their Kid came out on a Friday uh, in 2011, in August of 2011. I woke up Saturday morning and had, had my very first piece of – fan mail, an email from a reader who had read the book. And I have gotten countless emails from people, but each one is like, I'm getting it for the first time again, because I absolutely, that's a, something I never expected, ever expected when I published a book was to be able to hear from readers all over the world, frankly. And it's awesome. And I, I really, really, truly appreciate the time that people take out of their day when they sit down on the computer and, and write to me about something. So thank you for everybody who's ever written me any kind of email uh, about my books because it, it truly makes my day. That's tremendous. That's very cool. <laughs> uh, we will link up to all of your uh, social media websites as well as to Murmuration so people can pick that up as and, and, and everything else that's out there on uh, Amazon. Hey, comes out. 
You ready? It's a yeah. Friday. Take Just a, a few days from when this goes out, because this will come yes. out on Monday, and the book will be out on Friday. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So um, it's uh, oh man, I'm I can't I'm I can't wait for people to read this book. It's going to be hysterical. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. Actually, to kind of see how how people Finally react. Talk with and people about it, right? <laughs> how they choose to talk about it and not give anything away and. Well, there's gonna be there's gonna be those people though that are gonna end up ruining it for everybody, and I'm telling you right now, if I find out who those people are, man, well, I'm not gonna do anything. But I'm just gonna probably in my head think, you bastard, <laughs> why would you do that? But no, seriously, big thing, folks. Before we end this, reading Murmuration, I want everybody to have the same experience when reading it for the first time. So don't be a dick and ruin it for anybody else because that's a douchebag move to do. So just let people. Let people have their own experience reading it and, and you know, talk about it when they're done reading it. That's totally okay with me. Just don't ruin it for anybody else. Thanks. Yeah, I concur with you completely. <laughs> TJ, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. I appreciate it. So thanks very much to TJ for taking some time and talking about murmuration, or in some cases not talking about murmuration. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, as he said, you know, he's looking forward to seeing how people react to the book as well, because he he does expect a, a portion of his audience to go, "What the hell? <laughs> what are you doing?" Uh, it was interesting to me to learn too in the interview uh, that he wrote that during NaNoWriMo. Uh, you may have heard, and I mentioned in the interview, you know, that the murmuration is one hundred and seven thousand words, so he essentially did two Nano books in. In the month of November. In the month of yeah. November, because Nano is a 50,000-word goal uh, during the month. So he essentially wrote two books and a little bit more. And I suspect he wrote a lot more because there was also a comment that he made about words that he threw away about halfway through because he figured out he wasn't quite on the right path. Uh, that's a big inspiration to me because during that Nano period, he was not uh, full-time yet. Uh, he, he was still working about an 11 hour day and then coming home and writing six to eight hours at night and then sleeping, whatever was left and starting over again um, and writing, you know, seven days a week uh, to help keep his word count up. So I think that that's an extraordinary nano and especially to have it be a nano project that turned into a book uh, because we've heard, you know, in other, from other places, people who, do nano in a day and, you know, do all these crazy things. But yet that never comes out as a book. But here's a book that was written in nano, a really long book that then turned around and came out as a book mm -hmm. uh, in a pretty short order afterwards. And, of course, nano starts in about, this is coming out on the 24th. So nano starts in about a week, a week and a day from when this podcast drops. We're planning our nano projects. We're going joint this year for the first time uh, to try and write what will be the first of a trilogy that we're working on. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, long-time listeners will know that nano stresses Will out. It does. I'm, I'm trepidatious. Uh, yeah. And I'm trying to tell him not to be because we're in it together this time. Yes, that's very true. I have your full support. Yes. Uh, that doesn't mean that I'm not freaked out. I understand. <laughs> I understand. We will do your best to not have you freaked out through the month. Yeah. 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 Well, we'll, we'll be doing uh, more in-depth stuff on Nano a little bit next week because next week will be the start of Nano. 
And then uh, going through November as we record, we'll kind of let you know uh, where we are uh, in the writing process. Because we're also, also in NATO, we're also figuring out how to co-write together for the first time. Yeah, I think um, the anxiety that I'm experiencing now is just, you know, the general anxiety I would always feel about a project of of this size. Um, I'm sure my my anxieties will change and more throughout the month. We have to learn how to co-write together. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have to learn how to write when you are out of town. You're going to be headed to L.A. during a portion of November, so... Um, it'll be an interesting growing experience. Let's call it that. Yeah. And I think it'll be a, it'll be a good growing experience. I think currently I'm, I'm not trepidatious at all. The only thing I'm worried about in general is just getting our, our outline done ahead of the first. So we know where we're going. Cause I think once we know where we're going, we will get there, um, as fast as possible. Yeah. And there's no pressure in this case if we don't exit November with 50K. We'll exit November with something, and then we'll just keep going to finish the book. Because mm-hmm. yeah. 50K will be about where we want to land. So Yeah, for this particular project. So. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we'll see, and we'll keep everyone up to date on our progress, both good and bad, I guess. Even though I probably won't want to talk about the bad, you'll, yeah. you'll I'll, insist I'll that force we, it out. Yeah. <laughs> you and your daggun honesty. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that does it for fifty-five. Yeah, yeah. What's coming up next week? Next week, in episode number fifty-six, we're gonna have our GRL recap, and we're gonna celebrate the one-year anniversary of the Big A Fiction Podcast. Woo-hoo! Bring bring your party hats. <laughs> And we'll celebrate Halloween a little bit, too, because it, the episode will actually drop on Halloween. Halloween day. So, uh, get your... Um, I'm not very good at celebrating Halloween, so I'm not sure what I'm going to tell people to go get. Not either. Bring your candy. <laughs> whether whether it's you're listening to us on that Monday and haven't given it out yet, have a couple pieces of candy. Or if you've got leftover, indulge in some while you listen to the podcast that week. How's that? Yes, yes. Indulge in the podcast indulge in some sweets uh and um and maybe some birthday cake why not yeah for an anniversary yeah yeah that would be good yeah all right you guys have a good week and we'll see you back here for 56 thank you for listening to jeff and will's big gay fiction podcast new episodes are available every monday at itunes and other major podcast outlets while there subscribe to the show and please consider leaving a review For detailed show notes, links, and to sign up for the monthly newsletter, visit BigGayFictionPodcast.com.